This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m., or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m., or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, we started talking about, you know, that resurrection power uh, on Resurrection Weekend, uh, Easter, and uh, I'd like to continue that theme just a little bit this morning, talking about the power to change, because we all at different times, at different stages of our life, we need different kinds of change, you know, and I don't think any of us are exempt from that. Read a little article I came across. It says, every Sunday, the ducks in a certain town would waddle out of their houses down Main Street to their church. They waddled down the aisle to squat in their proper pew. The duck choir waddled in and takes its place. And then the duck minister comes forward and opens the duck Bible. He reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up on and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings. And you can fly like birds. And all the ducks shouted amen. And then they all waddled home. (laughs) They just didn't understand it. Or maybe they just didn't believe it. But it didn't change them. They were challenged. They agreed but they stayed the same. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. So I'm praying that you'll understand this power. Uh, To a duck, it's like, I pray that you'd understand how to fly. I pray that you would begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. And believing is a key to experiencing his power. You know, his, his power is best understood by experiencing it. Like someone ever tried to tell you about how something tastes. You know, well, it tastes kind of like this. And it tastes, well, it tastes kind of like this. And then they give you something and go, oh, yes, got it. So we need to experience what God has in store for us. We understand it best in that capacity. Let me read that verse again. It says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. That's that resurrection power. That's that miraculous power. And it says, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the the heavenly realm. The Bible says we've also been seated in the heavenly realm through Christ Jesus. And God wants you, every one of you in this room, in the balcony, downstairs, watching online. He wants us to have this miraculous power. When Jesus rose from the dead, he has extended that resurrection power to us. And we see the apostle praying that we would understand this incredible, great power that's been given to those of us who believe. That's what he says. You know, it's really important. Power that'll change your life. Power that will change everything. Now, you know, there was this old farmer who had cut a lot of wood in his day. He had several boys, and they had these nice big old uh, cross-cut saws, and they had axes and wedges and splitting malls and things like that. And one day a guy persuaded him to buy a chainsaw. But he had all these boys to help him cut and split wood and all, so he didn't see the real benefit of it. But the guy persuaded him with that chainsaw that he could cut a whole lot much, a lot, lot more wood, and it would take a lot less 
time to do so. And uh, so the farmer went home with great expectations and he went home and, and he used the saw for about a week and then he brought it back to the guy who sold it to him and he says, you know, it just does not meet my expectations. It doesn't quite do what you told me it would do. So the man who sold him the saw went over there, made a couple adjustments on the saw, and he pulled the cord, and I'm not going to crank it right now, but he pulled the cord, the thing fired up. The old farmer jumped back and said, what is that? <laughs> you know, he'd been sawing his wood like this. He didn't read the manufacturer's handbook and he didn't understand the power that that saw had. And I wonder if we understand the power that almighty God extends to you and me, that resurrection power, have we embraced the manufacturer's handbook and learned how to access the power and get done what God said this power would do. So he says here, let me read that verse one more time. Ephesians 1.19, he says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us, his power for us who believe him. That is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Verse 21 says, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. He's higher. Verse 22 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body and it is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And you can have just as much of Jesus in your life and his power as you want. You genuinely can. But we need to, we need to try to understand this. We, we need to figure out how to access the power that he has promised unto each and every one of us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, If the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you... Now, here's, here's a question. Has he been invited to live in you? Think about that for a moment. Because it says, if the spirit, that, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Bringing you alive to himself, you know. Verse 12 goes on to say, so dear Christian friends, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have the power to resist the temptation. Are you ever tempted to do something you ought not to do? Some of you are tempted not to respond to me right now, and I forgive you. <laughs> but when the devil tempts us, we can say no. That's what we can say. Once upon a time, we could not. But we have no obligation, as the scripture says, whatsoever to do what our sinful nature urges us to do. He has given us power to resist the devil. He has given us the power to change. And some people go, well, I just can't change. I'm telling you, you can solve this thing for the rest of your life and not read the owner's manual and never hear the thing fire up or you can read the owner's manual and you can access the power in that chainsaw. And you'll accomplish a whole lot more when you find how to get the power functioning in that chainsaw. God's power, it is here and now it is present for each and every one of us. This is not something I have created and I'm clever enough about to figure out no, this is what he's talking to you and me. His prayer for us, the apostles' prayer for us, is that we would figure this thing out, that we would begin to understand this incredible power that has been given unto you and me who believe. That is very important, to believe. John chapter 15, verse 1, it says, and Jesus is talking. He says, I am the true grapevine, <clears throat> and my father is the gardener. <clears throat> 
He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And I do need one volunteer. And if you could just hold up your fingers when you come up here. <clears throat> so last time it was 50 bucks. <laughs> you know what? I don't really have to have a, a volunteer. You understand what these things are for. To prune. And he says here, talking about his father, who is the gardener, Jesus says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that, that do bear fruit. I mean, what do you want to prune the ones that's not bearing fruit? He said he prunes the ones that are bearing fruit. Oh, so they will produce even more. You, you cut off those suckers and those parts of the, uh, the branch that are just drawing all the nutrients away and producing no fruit. He's pruning those off. So all that sap will go to the branch that's going to produce these big clusters of grapes. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You know what the, the branches sound like if you could hear them when he's pruning? Ouch. Oh, 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 no, not that branch. Ah. You ever experienced some of that, you know? Things that are sapping your life and sapping your strength away. coming between you and God. Verse 3 says, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. We are pruned. I mean, we know this represents what? The sword of the spirit, you know. And so that sword of the spirit is not only designed to fight against the enemies of our soul, but the sword of the spirit is used to prune us, to cut things out of our lives that robs us and steals from us our effectiveness and our, our fruitfulness. So he says here, verse 3, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. You know, God's word, it purifies us and it cleanses us and it prunes us. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. He's talking about remain in relationship with, with Jesus and that his word and, and, and relationship remain. Have this relationship, ongoing relationship, two-way relationship. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me in relationship with Jesus. And verse 5 says, <coughs> yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. And those who remain in relationship with me and I in them will produce much fruit. Because you understand, you know, right now, when you look out at the grapevines, well, if you go back a month, you basically see this vine sticking out of the ground like, like that. Not much else is there. But now they're beginning to produce all these branches, and they're growing all over the place. And the, the life sap of the Holy Spirit flows from the vine into the branches, and they're growing. And they're growing, and they're producing some uh, leaves in here, and they're beginning to develop, you know, clusters. And, and they'll produce all these wonderful clusters of awesome, delicious grapes. The vine, the branch. But if that life sap don't flow through, ain't nothing going to take place, you see. So he says here in verse 6, Yes, I am the vine, you're the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in relationship with me is thrown away like a useless branch, and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Verse 7 says, but if you, Jesus said, if you remain in relationship with me, and this is talking to us, and my words remain in you, you know, my words, you are in relationship with me, and my words remain 
And you, you may, what's that word? Ask for, that's, that's a great big blank check, is it not? You may ask for anything. Now, if his word is abiding in you, you know how to ask. You know how to ask from a biblical perspective. You, you know how to pray according to God's will if his word's remaining in you. If you're only watching other things out there and never have time, you're not going to know what the, the manufacturer's handbook says. You're not going to know how to crank it and, and how to tune it and how to keep the thing, you know, releasing power and accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. But he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. That's what he says. Now, there was a uh, church many years ago, and back during the war, and this is overseas somewhere, and uh, somehow their, their bell ended up in a river. It was the biggest bell that had ever been made, hundreds and hundreds of pounds, and it was on the bottom of a river during this war, and it sat there for years to come. And then some engineers of that day, they didn't have the technology we have now, but what they did have, they tried to retrieve the bell unsuccessfully. And then the pastor from the big church cathedral that was there, he said, uh, can I attempt to retrieve the bell? And if we are able to retrieve it, we get to keep it. Make, make sure you don't get out, though. Okay. Thank you, sir. And so if nobody else would get the bell. So if, he said, but the deal is, because those other people were going to retrieve it and then keep it. But he said, well, if you, can, if you can successfully retrieve it, rescue it, it's yours. And so what the pastor did, he had some people go and... They took an item with them, and they, it was bamboo. And you notice bamboo is hollow. But what happens right here where this ridge is at, it's, it's sealed. So down here is a pocket of air, and down here is a pocket of air, and there's another pocket of air between those little knuckles there. And they had divers that would go down, and with just a small cord, they would attach the bamboo to the bell. And then they would go down again with more bamboo. And they would attach the bamboo to the bell. This is going to take a long time. It's sharp. So to speed up the whole process, I just wanted you to get the understanding of a lot of bamboo, okay? And it was really a whole lot more than this. And you would think... How can you retrieve this bell that weighs hundreds of pounds that's stuck in the mud down in this river? And these divers were going down, taking bamboo, attaching it to the bell, attaching it to the bell, attaching it to the bell. And then one day, the bell began to move. And it was pulled out of the mud. And before you know it, it began to ascend to the surface of the river where they towed it to the shore and with carts and animals and all they were able to take it back to the church. But you would think, you know, what can a piece of bamboo do? But see, it wasn't just one piece of bamboo. 
it was many pieces of bamboo working together. Let me read you this verse here for a moment. It says in verse 7 here in John 15, it says, But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may, what's that? Ask for anything. That, that ask means to pray. And sometimes what we do, we go and we, we pray about something, you know, we pray about something and we ask the Lord for his wisdom and we don't see anything happen. And therefore we give up and we quit. But we need to continue to pray and it's okay to recruit other people to pray with you. Does that make sense? And instead of throwing in the towel and giving up, we just keep on praying and praying and praying and praying. And then that which seems to be impossible becomes possible. And he said here, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Anything. That's what he said. You know? And if, if God in his infinite wisdom has a better plan, it's like, by all means. But I'm going to tell you, the men and women who begin to send those little simple prayers and they pray until. Until God shows them a better way or God just answers that prayer and things begin to happen. Anyhow, once again, but if you remain in me and my word remains in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. You know, we've, we've got a brother, Bob Leifer, who's in the hospital who needs a miracle right this moment. Really do. And Lord, we just send up some prayers to you right now and we ask that you'd heal him and restore him and make him whole. And all the others, Lord, in our church family and the, the mother-in-laws and the moms who are really in difficult times and the brothers and all those who, Father, need a miracle, we just stand in agreement and we ask you for a miracle for them. And may your power be released in us as we join our faith together, Lord, that you can do the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 8 goes on to say, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. When you are fruitful, when your prayers are being answered, and when you're doing what God created you to do, it honors God. And he wants you to access his power. He didn't send us power so we couldn't access it. He sent us power so we would access it and could access it. Verse, uh, chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, All of us, nothing between us and God, our face is shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured, which means what? Changed. He says, and so we are transfigured, changed, transformed. We are transfigured much like the Messiah, our lives gradually, you know, like the, the bamboo gradually extracted that bell and brought it to the surface. And he says here, <clears throat> all of us, nothing between us and God, our faces shining with the brightness of his face, and so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, and our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful. Our lives becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives. And we become like him. And, and, and that's what God wants, is that we will become like his son Jesus. That we will begin to think the way he thinks and act the way he acts. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease and, and Jesus must increase. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For God is working where? In you. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you, you know. God's working in you. In you, Kevin. For God's working in you. And, and right here is what his toolbox kind of looks like. For God is working in you, 
given you the desire uh, to, to change in the areas that we know we need change and, and to become more Christ-like. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. You know, that's how you say that word? Power. You know what I'm talking about. So it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire. How many of you have desires to change? But what do you need? I can't hear you. You need the power to change you, to change those in your sphere of influence for the better. And it says, for God's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, do everything without complaining and arguing because to complain and to argue saps the power out of your life. And you will be powerless when you complain and argue. Even in the Old Testament, you know, when the, uh, the nation of Israel was coming out of the bondages of Egypt and they began to complain, snakes crawled out from underneath rocks and started biting everybody. Read about it. It was something. So if, if you're a complainer, no wonder you don't have no power. I'm just being honest with you. You know, uh, six of your eight spark plugs in your automobile aren't sparking anymore when you complain. Can you imagine your automobile is supposed to have eight spark plugs in there and eight cylinders giving you the power? You're operating off of just two now. It's like... <laughs> Sometimes it's going in reverse when you're trying to go forward. You're losing ground all the time. Your air filter is dirty and all stopped up. It can't get air for the combustion of the fire from those two spark plugs that are still functioning properly. And you got water in your gas tank. You know that can't be good for you. Your battery cables are so corroded, electricity can't even make its way through there anymore. Your tires are going flat. You know, your, your antifreeze and your oil is dripping out all over your, your uh, driveway. Is this what you want? When you complain. I want you to visualize that because this is the truth. You become powerless when you complain and you argue. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Question for you. Think about the answer here. Are you living by God's power? If the answer is like, I really want to, but I'm not. Do you really want God's power in your life to change and to do what he created you to do and to be fruitful the way he destined for you to be? Let me go back to verse 14 in Philippians 2. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives. It is your choice to live clean and innocent lives. I'm talking about getting a spiritual tune-up. So you're operating on all eight cylinders and you got a high-performance engine there now. Awesome. And you've, you've read the manufacturer's handbook and you've tweaked that engine where it's perfect. Anyhow, it says, do everything without complaining and arguing. Verse 15 says, so that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. It's so powerful. It tells us there in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Hold firmly to the word of life. It is alive. It is powerful. And if you're abiding in relationship with Christ and his word is abiding in you, you can ask for anything. There's power when you pray. So, well, that little old prayer ain't going to make a whole lot of difference. Well, you keep sending that little old prayer up. And you get other people who's joining in, in, in those prayers with you. And I'm telling you can do what seems impossible. That is if you believe. He tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 22 verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them. You do. Err. 
You make a mistake here not knowing the scriptures. You do err not knowing the manufacturer's handbook. You will never access the power in this chainsaw if you don't understand it. He says, you do err not knowing the scriptures. You can tell me what's on on, on every station, on every channel, on every day, and every score, and every this, that, and another, but do you know how to access the power of God? He says you err because you don't know the scriptures. And what's the rest of the verse say? Nor the, power. the what? The power. I can't hear you. Power. The power of God. And knowing the scriptures is the key to knowing the power of God. You go, well, how come my prayers aren't really accomplishing anything? Do you know the scriptures? He said, if you abide in a relationship with him and his word abides in you and the way it gets in us is through the gateways of our eyes and our ears, it gets into our heart. And he says, if we abide in him and his word abides in us, we can ask for anything and it shall be granted. That's what my Bible says. And I kind of believe it. You remember the chainsaw situation? The power is there. Some people just don't access it. But it's accessible if you read the manufacturer's handbook. You can figure out how to crank that thing up and tune that thing up and cut cords of wood a day. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, and all of us, as with unveiled face, now you got to understand, there was a curtain in the, the Holy of Holies that people were not allowed to see God or the presence of God or where God was represented at. But when Jesus Christ was crucified, this veil in the temple that kept men out, it was nine foot tall and it was torn from top to bottom when Jesus rose from the dead. A man about my size couldn't have reached there and tore it. He would have tore it from the bottom. And that, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And God says, I don't want there to be anything between you and me anymore. And you don't have to go through some other priest anymore. You come and see me yourself. And it says here, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continued to behold in the word of God, the word behold means to look upon. We continued to look upon God in his word. That's what he's saying here. He says, we continue to behold in the word of God. And you remember what's in the, the word is alive and it's powerful. He says, all of us with an unveiled face, because we continue to behold, to look upon him in the word as in a mirror. And you got to understand, if, if I had a mirror right here right now, I could look in the mirror and I could see the ceiling, right? I see it reflecting. And it's the same situation he's telling us. As we look upon God's word, we'll, we'll see God's reflection. We get to know God better and better. And we get to know God's ways and God's thoughts as we are beholding him as we're looking into his word, which is a mirror that reflects him. And he says here, and all of us, as with unveiled face, because we continue to behold in the word of God, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are constantly being transfigured. Which means what? Change. Metamorphos. You know, the caterpillar to the butterfly. We are constantly being transfigured, changed, transformed. And he goes on to say, into his very own image. We are being changed and becoming more and more like Christ in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. It's not a one-deal shot to where I get changed right here, but the progression is ongoing. As I'm beholding, looking in the mirror of his word, I'm being changed from day to day to day to day, becoming more Christ-like in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions. That's what he's talking about. That's for you and for me. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he explains it a little bit clearer. He just simply says, let God, let him. Did you know you can stop God from moving in your life? Let God, don't resist him. No, nope, get your hands off, don't touch me. Let God transform you into a new person. Let God do it. 
by changing the way you think. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We understand that. His word is alive and powerful, and he wants us to think God thoughts. And he says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Scripture says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. A man thinks, I just can't do it. I can't, I just can't, I can't. That man can't. But another person says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That man can. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we need to let God change our stinking thinking and, and transform us. And that's what he says. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. The Message Bible says it this way. Fix your attention on God. Fix your attention on God by meditating upon his word. It changes our thinking. Chew on it like a ruminant, you know, and you chew on it and chew on it until you become one with it. And I'm talking about meditating from a biblical perspective. The non-biblical perspective, meditation is to become one with nothing. I don't want to become one with nothing. I'm pretty much nothing on my own, you know. But the Bible tells us meditation is chewing on his word where we become one with Christ. And we become more and more like Christ. That's what he's talking about. And if we're not changing, it's because we're not beholding him, which means looking upon him. In his book, Forever Triumphant, F.J. Hugel told a story that came out of the World War II. After General Jonathan Wainwright was captured by the Japanese, he was held prisoner in a Manchurian concentration camp. Cruelly treated, he became a broken, crushed, hopeless, starving man. And finally, the Japanese surrendered and the war ended. And the United States Army colonel was sent to the camp to announce personally to the General Jonathan Wainwright that Japan had been defeated and that he was free and he was in command. After Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters and was confronted by some of the guards who began to mistreat him as they had done in the past. And Wainwright, however, with the news of the Allied victory still fresh in his mind, he declared with authority, no, I am in command here. And these are my orders. And observers have declared that from that moment on, General Wainwright was in control. What do you believe? I don't know if you've heard about this uh, great conflict of the ages that Jesus Christ went through. The devil doing his best to damn him and to destroy him. I don't know if you've heard about the battle. But I'm telling you, I didn't heard the rest of the story, and I heard that Jesus wins. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he crushed that old serpent's head under his foot. And I don't know if you're still believing that the devil has control over you, and you're just a prisoner, and you're a slave. Or have you heard the good news that the victory has been won, and it is yours, and you are in command? The devil no longer has command over your life. You are no longer obliged to do what he tempts you to do. Oh, once upon a time, our old sinful nature, devil tempted us and he just controlled us. But when you become a Christian, when it says if any man is in Christ Jesus, he becomes a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. The devil could control the old sinful man, but the new man in Christ can say, no. I'm in authority here. Jesus has given me this authority. You will no longer control my life. I am telling you, power is accessible to you. If you'll believe what he says in his word, you'll take it to heart and you'll, you'll access it. But I'm going to tell you, we, we, we got to spend a little bit of time in the manufacturer's handbook. We got to learn the ways of almighty God. We got to apply those things. It says in 2 Timothy, and I just want us to see this from several different angles. I want you to understand this is throughout the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
But he has given us a spirit. He's given us a Holy Spirit of, what's that word? Power. Okay, let's do this again. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. You're getting close. Okay, one more time. That's the way it's supposed to be read. Just so you, If you're in a library reading this verse, you got to... You have to go outside, I reckon. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And is love powerful? I have read articles where little old petite grandmamas and little old petite mamas, their sons and grandsons are working on a car and the jack falls and crushing their, their child. And them little old ladies come out there and pick the car up off of them. Have you ever heard such a thing? I'm telling you, there is a power in love that is just unbelievable. And he says here, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Where does it come from? The devil. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a, a sound mind. Not anymore that stinking thinking, but he's given us a sound mind. We're beginning to have God thoughts. We're beginning to think the way God thinks. And things are changing in our lives and in our world. Now, we are living in the end times. We really are. But listen to what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Let's see if you can identify with this. Verse 2 says, for in the last days people will love only themselves and their money. And they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. And they will be cruel and they will hate what is good. And they will betray their friends and be reckless and be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. Does that sound like this day and time? They will act religious, but they will reject The power that could make them godly. The power that could make them godly. The power that could make them like Christ. To reach their full potential. The power that would take them to heaven one day. It says they reject the power in the last days. They reject the power that could make them godly. It says stay away from people like that. And you see all all the negative, terrible things that they do. Because they have no power to do something better. They're being controlled by the devil with that old sinful controlling nature. Now, how many of you here, surely somebody, how many of you here remember when electricity was first discovered? (laughs) I'm usually the only one who says, well, I remember that. I'm just old, I reckon. But I don't remember that, okay? I don't remember that. But I do remember, as I've read and studied on a little bit, that what was actually introduced to people was not all kinds of appliances and stuff because there was no appliances. They'd figured out how to make a light bulb and people got uh, one strand of wire hanging down from their ceiling with a light bulb on it and it changed their world. But as time continued, you know, the, the farmhouses and, and people's homes and their barns, all of a sudden there was the possibilities of these appliances that was powered by electricity. And people had to accept it and believe it and and make some arrangements to receive this power into their life. And it changed everything. We're talking about daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food, preserving food. You know, uh, the, 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 the change for the better was vast. Genuinely was. And people had to make their decisions. What am I going to do? And if you could hear this call, hear this message to the farmers. Turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns. Turn from the ice boxes and cellars and the scrub boards and the rug beaters. And from your women-powered sewing machines. You know how those were like, had a little pedal, you know. Turn from those Radios that operate off of dry cell batteries, you know. The power to make your life better is available if you'll make the arrangements. And a lot of people made the arrangements and life became so much easier. And people worked when others would go to bed because they didn't have no light. (laughs) Now, it might have been good not to have that light. I'm not sure. But there were people who chose 
not to accept the power into the homes. And there's groups of people who do that today, and I'm not criticizing them, but I think the electricity, if we use it right, is a good thing. How many of y'all use electricity in your home? Most of us, okay. There was power that was available, and you had to decide if you was going to accept it or you was going to reject it. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 18. Stephen, and Stephen was one of the very first deacons in the church. He wasn't a teacher. He was a deacon. He served. It says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace, and grace is God's enabling power. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and, what's it say? And power. I think you are starting to catch on. I'm going to read just once more to see. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people because he was full of the grace of God and power. And the Bible tells us and Jesus tells us that greater works you will do than he even did. You go, no, yes, that's what it says in the book. It's amazing, is it not? I'll read you one more verse here. And some people look at this verse and they get all out of whack. And I've read this not too long ago because we need to get it into our heart. And it says this, but you shall receive power. Let's do that all together one more time. (laughs) But you shall receive Power. power when the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You shall receive power. Power! Let's kind of work together on this here. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? And you shall be witnesses to me. You'll be a witness of what I've done for you and what I'm doing through you and what I can do for other people. Mr. and Mrs. Witness, please take the witness stand. And you don't have to be all up on theology. You know? All you got to do is go, well, officer, uh, your honor, I was standing on this corner and I saw that automobile come down. And I saw the Mr. Witness, Mrs. Witness, you tell what you've seen. You tell what you heard. You tell what you've experienced. And he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. And you start off where you live in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth is what he said. You're going to receive power to be a witness. Because I'm going to tell you, it's just heartbreaking when you think about it. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. Jesus said it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father in heaven except through me. And it's so heartbreaking. There's so many people. You look at them, you see them walking down and suffering. They're smiling. Everything seems to be cool. But you don't see the emptiness of their heart. You don't see the fear. You don't see the difficulties that they're wrestling with. And they're just so empty and hollow. And God has empowered you and me just to be a witness. There's a lot of stuff you don't know, and that's okay, but I can tell you what I do know, what I have experienced. I can tell you what I have experienced. And this is what Jesus has done for me and what he's done in me, and this is what he can do for you. And he has given us his Holy Spirit and given us power so we can be a witness for him. That's what he's talking about. So I'm going to read the the verse I started with as we end. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power to us who believe him. I pray that you'll begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. I pray that you'll begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe in him. There's power. Why are we not accessing it? He says, I pray that you'll begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power to us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. That same power, he wants you and I to understand it. He wants his power to flow to us and out through us. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus is talking about. He wants to change this world. And it is absolutely amazing. He wants to use you and me. He wants to use us all working together, little pieces of bamboo, but working together 
The things that seem impossible now become possible. That's what he wants. Let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus, the name above every other name. And we thank you for the promises that you've given us in your word. And we ask you for a miracle, Father, that you would help us to understand your power. And you would help us, Father, not entertain people with it, but we would use your power to change lives. Lord, that you first would change us, and then we would share that good news, the good news that you can use. We would share it with others who seem at this moment to be hopeless. Help us, O oh Father, to speak up and to be a witness, a living witness for you for what you've done for us and what you can do for them. Help us, almighty God. Deliver us from living in the dark ages. Deliver us from trying to do everything by hand on our own, not accessing your power. For Lord, we surrender our lives to you right now. And we want your power. We want your life. We want to make a difference in this world. So as our heads are are continually bowed for another moment. I'd like you to reaffirm your faith with me as we pray. And there are some who would declare their faith for the very first time, whether you're in this room or the balcony or downstairs or you're watching online. I want you to pray with me right now. And let us begin to understand how to access his power. Let us surrender and let's yield our lives to him. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. I believe that he gave his life on a cross to wash my sins away. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide that door. And I receive Jesus with his resurrection power into my life right now. Jesus is my Savior. I surrender my all, my past, my present, and my future. I surrender it all to you and say your will be done in me and through me. In the name of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.